Wow, the podcast that will help you navigate your way through the world of adulthood and the uncontrollable forces of womanhood. I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and today I had the wonderful experience of chatting with Ashley Streeter-Jones. Ashley is an activist, she's a writer, she's a speaker, and she's the founder of Raise Our Voice Australia. Ashley and I spoke about activism and how we can use our voices to contribute to some of the larger issues facing the world today. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ashley. She's an incredibly talented young woman who has achieved so much um, in such a short number of years. And she had such wisdom to share with us today on how we can use our voices to create change and to be the change in our generation. So I do hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you do, I would love it if you could do a few things for me and that would be click subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, follow if you're on Spotify and leave a review. Or even better, share it with your friends. Tell everyone about it. I'd really love that. Otherwise, you better come join us on Instagram while you're at it. At the wow podcast underscore. Hello, Ashley. Welcome to the wow podcast. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you for having me. I start all my interviews off the same way and that will begin with an acknowledgement of country. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land that both Ashley and I reside on here in Canberra. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So Ashley, could you begin with sharing a little bit about yourself, please? Isn't it funny how this should be a question with such an obvious answer, but it still can floor you every time? (laughs) Um, A bit about me. Who am I? Uh, I am a passionate person. I am a proud feminist. I am an optimist, uh, albeit a cynical one. I am a partner, a friend, a daughter, a sister, uh, an employee, a volunteer, a director, a founder, a person who makes a lot of mistakes, a person who learns a lot along the way, um, and probably a bit more. But I think that will do us for now. You have, I mean, that is such a humble way to introduce yourself because I've got to admit, you are the most, like your resume, you are one of the most incredible women that I have come across. I mean, for those listeners wondering why I'm like just in awe of you and all that you do, Ashley, you are obviously, like you said, you're a speaker, facilitator and writer and activist, but you were named the youngest ever ACT Woman of the Year in 2018. You're a listee on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. You've um, led youth campaigning for World Vision, assisted Plan International Australia's Youth Activist Series in 2019. You've organised and co-hosted the Canberra Women's March. You're the Vice President of YWCA Canberra. You're the Deputy Curator of Canberra Global Shapers Hub. You're the co-founder of Girls Take Over Parliament Program in 2017. Um, I mean, and there's there's so much more that I could add to that list. You're, I mean, in 2019, you're recognised as the Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence. And you also run your own, um, is it a non-for-profit? 
Yes. Uh, if when I have the resourcing to turn it into a not-for-profit, it will be, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, your own your own initiative, Raise Our Voice Australia. So, I mean, and that's not even the full list. So that's incredible. I really want to know where did all, like how how do you get this kind of resume at such a young <laughs> age? Where did it all begin and start for you? So it all started for me back when I was 11. So before I was born, my parents used to live in Johannesburg in South Africa. And in that Christmas of 2005, uh, we went to South Africa for Christmas. So that was my first time, my sister and I's first time being there. And my parents have have always raised us with a very global view. Uh, I wasn't born in Australia. I lived in four countries before I turned five. Uh, my parents are both very international. Um, and part, I think part of the impetus of going to South Africa was to help us really understand the world that we lived in. And the world that we live in isn't always a very privileged place. So on Christmas Day in 2005, uh, we, I found myself in Soweto. Soweto is, stands for the Southwestern Township and it's the largest township area in Johannesburg. And it was such a stark contrast between the way that my Christmas day had started as somebody from a position of privilege, uh, being a child, you know, experiencing a Christmas in the way that the children do, going to a place living in extreme poverty. And we'd gone to Sweto to take in some Christmas cakes and a few other bits and pieces. My, my parents' friend had connections to the towns who'd made a decision that this is actually how we wanted to spend our Christmas day. Um, not in a white savory way, but in having genuine conversations with people and getting to know their stories and, and understanding their context. And that experience fundamentally changed the way that I saw the world. I remember thinking in that moment that I wasn't comfortable with the world that I lived in. And you might be thinking that 11 is very young to be jaded. And yeah, you're spot on. It absolutely is. But I made a very conscious decision in that moment that I wasn't comfortable living in a world where such extremes could exist. And that I wanted to orient the rest of my life and the rest of my career to trying to uh, close the gap in these extreme inequalities. Mm. It's, uh, it's incredible that that's the key point in your life that you really mark that decision down to I've actually also been to Soweto when I was um, Mm. 14 I went on exchange to South Africa and to give anyone listening today a bit of a picture of the environment in which um, I guess that community live in there's no power there's no running water there are shacks I mean they live a very very basic life I mean when you compare to the privileges that we have here living in Australia I don't even think you could begin to understand what life would be like for yeah the community living in those standards it is really shocking and I remember feeling so uncomfortable being there because it is one of those things where you're just so you don't realize how blinded by your privilege you are until you visit those kind of those Mm. areas but um what amazes me is that that's pushed you to really make action out of that. What was the first organisation or movement that you got involved with that kind of started this process of, of building up your voice, really? It was World Vision Australia. So I 
the school I went to didn't have a very strong culture of volunteering. By that, I mean, I think I was the culture of volunteering. So we did have a, a teacher who ran the 40-hour family program, but he didn't have a big presence in our school. And I always, also used to work with an organisation called Ardoc Youth, which is based in St Kilda in Melbourne, those who are familiar, that provides school supplies to families uh, living in difficult circumstances. I think the thing about having that realisation so young is that for many years I didn't know what to do with this passion. I came from a family where we, we had and still have a lot of conversations around uh, global power structures. We talk a lot about international politics. We talk about power systems. So I always had a very systemic view of how the world works. Um, but I didn't really know how to operationalise that as a young school age child and I, I I was a child I finished school at 16 so I, I did finish quite young as well but it wasn't really until I had started my undergraduate degree that I saw an internship going with World Vision Australia and I thought actually you know what this this is what I want to do um, so I took I took the opportunity and again I want to acknowledge that it is an absolute privilege to work for free I was in a position where I could do so. I'm still in a position where I can do so. And a lot of my opportunities have come from that privilege and that ability to work for free, including this one with World Vision. So when I started, I connected with VGen. So VGen was World Vision Australia's youth movement. Uh, it worked. Uh, it, unfortunately, it closed down recently, but it worked with 15 to 25-year-olds to encourage them to take action on issues of international injustice and poverty. So that really kicked off my, my leadership journey, my advocacy journey, my campaigning journey. And it was also the first time that I really felt like I'd found my people. I could just throw myself into this community of equally passionate people. And that was such a, a special place to be. Mm, absolutely. And out of everything that you've done so far, and you've achieved a lot in a very small, <laughs> short amount of time, what's the thing that you're most proud of? That's a really hard question to answer, not, not because there's so many things I'm proud of, but in a way there are so many things I'm proud of and, yes, things like getting child labour on the G20 agenda, that's huge, right? That's an ability to influence the system and I'm so proud to have been part of that campaign and to be a leading voice in that campaign. But so much of it comes down to the one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have with people. It's somebody coming back around to you a year later and saying, because of this conversation or because of this opportunity or because of this presentation, I went and did this. Mm. And I think those are honestly by far the most valuable moments. And often when you're doing advocacy and change making, you're looking at creating really big change, right? You don't create or work towards global equality by changing systems overnight. You just don't. So often it's actually the small wins along the way that are the most gratifying and how do you, because that's a really good point. And I think like there have been so many stages in my life where I've woken up and I'm like, do you know what? I just want to end like world poverty, but it's just like, <laughs> you can't do it all. And that's a really good point you make about the uh, trying to achieve it in bite-sized chunks. So how do you look at a problem, whether it be diversification in leadership, whether it be world hunger, whether it be, um, poverty, with all these kind of huge global issues, how do you, in your head, how do you make them into bite-sized pieces that you yourself can impact and make a change? I think you've made such a good point with the changes that you can make. And I think 
step one, apart from learning as much as you can about the issue, um, that, that's critical, right? If you don't understand a problem properly, then you can create a fabulous solution, but to a problem that doesn't actually exist. So learning as much as you can is the starting point. Then I think the next question, as you've identified, is saying, why me? What am I best placed to do as a 26-year-old living with my resources, my networks, my privileges here in the ACT? How am I best placed to make that change? So I think when you, you're really thinking about a problem, it's really useful to almost jot down a few understandings of your solutions and contest them. Go and look for information that confirms. Go and look for information that contests. Go and speak to other people. Test your underlying assumptions. Um, and then once you've created your understanding of the problem and your understanding of the solution of the problem, you can start to create a bit of a roadmap and also do that thinking about where you fit in and what are the steps that you need to take along the way. And sometimes actually the best way you fit in isn't by leading something, it's by amplifying something that already exists. Mm, mm. So, for example, I'm not the best placed person to take the leading campaigning on First Nations issues or trans issues because I'm not Indigenous and I'm not trans. But with my platforms and my abilities and my networks, I'm very well placed to amplify the work that's already being done. So, again, I think your identification of what is your role is so critical when you're thinking about change making because you also just can't come in with a saviour complex. Sometimes you are just not the answer to the problem and that's that's very okay. In fact, that's more than okay. So instead, think really critically about your allyship. Mm, that's, I really like that. That's really good. And so... Good, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I can tell. You can tell by the answer. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about Raise Our Voice Australia then and why you yeah. created that, what it's all about, um, and speak on that a little bit more? Yeah, certainly. So back in 2007, I co-created the Girls Take Over Parliament, uh, which is a movement that focuses on getting more young women of all backgrounds into our political spaces. Uh, I left that at the end of 2018 and was really thinking a bit about, again, why me? What am I best placed to change? And something that I'd noticed along, along the way is that a lot of people want to affect politics or affect policy, but they don't want to be a politician. And again, that's a very legitimate pathway to take. So what are the other big change-making institutions in this country? One of them is, is politics and is, is public policy and is government. Um, and living here in Canberra, government is something that we're all surrounded by, but it's an institution that makes the policy for all Australians and, in fact, some people overseas, but it doesn't reflect Australians. So how can we have the best disability policy possible or um, even women's policy possible or First Nations policy possible if we don't actually have those people sitting at the table, meaningfully contributing and having their suggestions put into action. We also know that another group missing is, is young people. We are the custodians of the future. We are the leaders of today as well as the leaders of tomorrow. And it's really important that we have a stake in designing our future. So Raise Our Voice Australia launched last year as a pilot program. So we ran a bit of an intro to public decision-making. Um, and it focused on building understanding in, in these spaces. And then also looking at what, what you can do to affect this change. Um, 
I think something that's really critical in change making is being agile and recognizing that you might have to try a few different things before you get it right. So even now, while I think that program had a lot of value, I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm not sure that young people, I, in fact, I'll change that. I don't think young people are the issue. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done with institutions to change the way that we view what, who a leader is and the sort of impact that people are placed to make. So the question that I'm really debating at the moment is how do we solve that problem? But the problem that is within my control that I can do something about is supporting these young people to see government and public policy as a viable tool for creating change. Mm, right. And so what in your pilot program, like what, do you, what are you trying to achieve with these young voices that you're presenting to? Well, with. one of the aims, one of the aims is to pull back the curtain on the mystery that is public decision making. So for public decision making, I'm talking about politics, I'm talking about policies made by governments and public policies made by other institutions such as universities, think tanks, not for profits. I think it can be quite a, a mysterious thing, um, particularly if you're outside of Canberra. I don't think we're very good at making these sorts of things accessible. I think it can feel like a very elitist space. So pulling back the curtain is definitely one. Um, helping people understand how it can be used as a tool to make change. Mm. And hopefully helping young people recognise that actually they need to get into government because if you don't like the way something works or if you're a bit sceptical or you don't see yourself represented, it's one thing to try and change it from the outside. And I spent years when I was working with World Vision campaigning to change decisions that had already been made. Let's hack the mm. system. Let's get a seat at the table. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more <laughs> more with that. Like we just need more diverse voices in, in our government systems and these large institutions so that we have policy that reflects the, our society better. Um, so what does diversification and representation look like to you, Ashley? This is a really good question and I will caveat that I can give my answer as a white woman with an invisible disability, but also that this, this will absolutely mean different things to different people. I think diversification and representation for me looks like meaningful representation where voices are heard and suggestions are acted on. And I, I phrase it like that because we talk about having a seat at the table and yes, having a seat at the table is a great thing. It's not a great thing if you have a seat at the table and your voice is marginalised or if people aren't prepared to listen. So I think meaningful inclusion and representation is actually the key here and that your suggestions are acted on. So that people are actually prepared to take what you say and run with it and, and implement it instead of saying, yeah, we hear you, that's excellent. Don't now budget. Well, no, actually we, we don't feel like it. So I think that's one. The other thing that diversification and representation means to me is a change in our power structures. Again, solving all the small problems. But our power structures exist in a particular way to amplify some people and some voices over others. Um, this is something I think a lot about in my feminism um, and that equality to me, um, particularly in my feminism, doesn't mean women getting into the positions that men are currently sitting in. Diversifying your oppressor isn't equality. So we really need to be taking a look at the fundamental way that our societies, businesses, governments, not-for-profits, societies function and look at resetting all of those things to create a more equal society. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if you're a young woman and you really want to make change and you're not afraid to get into politics, how, what would your advice be for, I mean, for resilience in building resilience in that kind of landscape? Because I mean, there's, there's no hiding it. Politics is, is very much a a boys club, very much a white boys club. And um, I mean, we all know that there's a lot of, bullying and horrible things that go around in the background of these kind of really old institutions I mean it's 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 it looks from the outside very hard to be passionate about going in there and and making change because it just feels like you'd just be constantly knocked back and knocked back and not back again but what is your advice for building strength and resilience and passion in this kind of area for women who want to create change Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. For politics specifically, again, I've, I've never actually run for mm. office um, or <laughs> sat in office for that matter. But something that I always come back to is keeping passionate people around you and remembering why you started. It's very easy to get bogged down in little bits and pieces and pettiness and difficult personalities. And that's not to dismiss those things. Those things are tough. They are absolutely tough. But being purpose-driven such a great way to be so keeping that vision of where you want to end up kind of keeping that higher purpose for lack of a better term um but surrounding yourself with the right people surround yourself with the people who have shared visions surround yourself with the people who are your cheerleaders and don't settle for anything less than your cheerleaders if people aren't celebrating with you and commiserating with you and pulling you up when you need to be pulled up probably time to find a different group of people that being said As I said for the public service, there is merit to being on the inside. And this is where I fully acknowledge that this is a challenging position to be in. If you're sitting in a toxic space that doesn't serve you or isn't welcoming of you, you can leave it, in which case your influence and your ability to influence looks extremely different, or you can stay in the inside and try and change it from the inside. Mm. Both of those options are tough. Yeah, they each have their own set of challenges, don't they? Um, mm. yeah. We'll move towards some listener questions and we yeah. have two today. The first one is from Amy and she says that in her position at work, she's often required to be on the recruitment board um, and she often sees represent representation and diversification being overlooked when picking candidates and she said she's finding it tough to advocate and get more diverse people into her workplace without being shut down by the other members and so she's wondering if you have any advice for her oh amy (laughs) i'm so glad that you are where you are because step one often is having having somebody in the room having somebody who can recognize the problem who can call out the problem, who can start taking steps towards rectifying the problem. Although I also work for a a very monolithic organisation and I totally appreciate the challenge and and the challenge of being sometimes the lone advocate in that room. It is a tough position to be in. Um, Some recommendations, I think, almost writing like a business case and couching it within the values of the organisation is a good place to start because then you can make a really clear justification using language and a viewpoint that the organisation understands. So fortunately, there are a lot of studies out there now that look at diversity producing better business outcomes. Now, I don't know whether you're in 
private sector, not-for-profit or companies, a lot of the studies have been done on the private sector, but the principle still stands that diversity makes for better outcomes. So fortunately, there is a lot of research out there on that topic. And if you're having trouble finding it, please feel free to DM me because I've got a few things uh, up my sleeve for situations just like this. Um, another option might be trying to, um, oh, what's the word? Depersonalize the panel, de-identify. So when, so it's the small things like taking names off resumes. Now, I know this can only get you so far, but if you're taking names off resumes, we know that people have a confirmation bias. We are more likely to value and recruit people who look like us, speak like us, have a similar background to us. Taking names off resumes stops this, uh, this bias from acting out, although I acknowledge it's a challenge perhaps when you get to in-person interviews. Maybe you can have the panel with their backs to the candidate, kind of like the voice, I don't know. But... The, yeah, but there, there are ways to do it. And I know that some of these things are actually out there. So I know organisations push back and say, oh, it's not being done. We couldn't possibly, but it is being done and you can possibly. So thank you so much for your advocacy. We need more people like you in the room uh, and best of luck. The second question is from Lily and Lily says that she works in a very male dominated industry and that it does seem to be quite a boys club and that really challenges her in I guess the behavior that she sees on a day-to-day basis at work. She's asking how can she advocate for change in this industry without losing her position or being suffocated as the only female in the group? Oh, Lily, that's also hard. Um, yeah, they're real, they're real ballsy questions, aren't they? <laughs> Very courageous questions. Mm-hmm. Um, finding your allies. Again, I'm, I'm such a big advocate of finding your allies. Why? Well, for one, it's so much easier to stand with someone than stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are ways of challenging behaviours. Uh, one that I like is, oh, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Again, I've also had this this internal discussion around calling things out and there's always a few things that you need to consider. What outcome do you want? Is then do you honestly, do you think that person will change their behaviour or think about it differently? Is it safe to call it out in the moment? And Mm. how do you call it out? Because if you embarrass somebody, nine times out of ten, they will go on the defensive because they feel humiliated in front of their peers. So thinking about how you might call things out in the lead up is really useful because you feel emboldened in that moment because you've done the decision making already the hard part of it is taken out you don't have to worry as much about causing negative consequences because you've thought through the options for how to do that Mm. so i'd encourage you if you haven't already i'm sure you have if you've been in this environment for a bit of time but it is really useful to do that and workshop it with somebody Mm. Um, take take that stress out of the moment Absolutely. So how can young people, especially women and people of colour, ensure that they're involved in national decision making? Is there anything that we can do to be more involved for all of us listening today? Great question. Um, As I've already said, I'm a real advocate for people entering public service if they're in a position to do so. That's one way to get a seat at the table. But there are other ways to do it if you're not interested in a public service pathway. Uh, running for office, as we've already discussed, but again, totally acknowledge that is not everyone's uh, cup of tea. 
is working in the political system, whether that's for a political party or as a staffer, uh, working for a peak body. So peak bodies are the essentially the organising bodies on a particular topic. So they're often the ones that organise, for example, the domestic violence institutions underneath. So they can be a really good unifying voice um, and project the collective voices of organisations. Um, it can be working for not-for-profit, again, I, the background of not-for-profits, I think they do some incredibly valuable work, including advocacy work. Meeting with your member of parliament, your member of parliament works for you. Don't forget that. They're accountable to you. You're their voter. And if you're not old enough to be their voter, your parents are likely their voter. Let, let them know. If they have enough people contacting them, it doesn't have to be face-to-face. -face. It could be a phone call. It could be a letter. It could be an email. When you put issues in front of them, they, they start thinking about them. Mm. So I'd really encourage you, if you haven't already, do engage with your Member of Parliament. Uh, there is social media mobilising, so online organising, whether it's signing petitions or, again, finding your people. Collective action is so powerful in a democracy because our government functions in a sense that it has to reflect the majority of the population. So bringing people along with you is incredibly powerful. Um, and finally, the most effective way to make change is actually having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This is why political parties and campaigners always go back to doing things like door knocking, even though it sounds incredibly tricky and laborious and like you might have to have some difficult conversations. Listening to someone's perspective, challenging their perspective, putting forward a really clear argument for a different perspective. These are all things that plant seeds and make people more likely to act down the track. Again, they're mm. tricky because you may not see an immediate outcome, but you'd be surprised how far that can go. Mm. And I think it's also really important to mention the fact that uh, we're really lucky to have the right to vote. And so we should be using our vote as cautiously and as, you know, importantly as possible to make the right change for our community or for the country. So when there's local um, elections to make sure that you, like you said, know your members, um, local members are aware of the parties and aware of the, I guess, what they're discussing and what they're pushing and what they're for and what they're against so that you can use your vote to make some type of difference. Ashley, now that we draw to a close, I'm sure we could keep talking for a very long time, but do you have three reasons that you would like to share with us as to why it is important to advocate for more diversity? Yes, number one, diversity makes for better decision-making. I know we talk about this in the private sector context, but it's equally as true in the public sector context. Um, number two, everyone deserves a seat at the table and deserves power over the decisions that impact their lives and livelihoods. So diversity makes, therefore, for a better country, society, and ultimately for a better world. Um, and again, it makes all of our lives richer. You can't tell me that you don't love having something as simple as like different cuisines, but again, different experiences and different opinions. And actually diversity makes us better and more empathetic people. Mm, absolutely. And do you have a motto or quote when it comes to this that you would like to share? Uh, look, I have a few, but the one that I always come back to, I think, is the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. I'm a really ardent believer in this. Um, unfortunately, it means that I feel compelled to act in a lot of areas in a way that probably isn't 
as constructive as it would be if I put all my energy into one particular area. Um, but that's always the voice at the back of my head when I see something that makes me uncomfortable and I stop and interrogate why it's making me un uncomfortable and it's because it doesn't accord with my values. Mm. And if it doesn't accord with my values, then I believe I should do something about it. How do you find that courage to speak up? I mean, it, you are such an incredible woman with the way that you use your voice, but that's one thing I'm taking away is that you seem to have a lot of courage, which I so admire, but I'm sure there's some of us that would see something happening and feel very strongly against it, but not feel as courageous about saying something about it. What, where does that come from? And do you have any tips for kind of getting that courage within you? a great question and I'll be honest there are still a lot of times that I don't speak up mm. uh, because if I spoke up about everything I would never go to bed <laughs> I would live on social media and I may not actually interact with real life humans mm. um, but again thinking where is my power to affect change uh, where does the courage come from I was always raised in a family where we were encouraged my sister and I were very much encouraged to have opinions and have a voice and to use it. I grew up around parents who were volunteering and always talking about how we can be doing things to make the world a better place. Um, and a lot of the courage isn't actually courage, it's it's anger. Mm. <laughs> um, I think a, a lot of us spend a lot of time being angry and we're angry because we we know we deserve better and we want better. And anger is a great thing if it's used constructively. Um, does that mean that I, I don't feel nervous sometimes about speaking out? Absolutely. I, I wait for trolls to come and find me on Instagram. I hardly ever use Twitter nowadays because it just feels like a bin fire of human existence. <laughs> I used to have a Facebook page that I was using and that got trolled, so I ended up taking it down. People, people horrible. And that's a hard context to sit in. Um, and I think there's a lot of fear about doing and saying the wrong thing. And to people who are concerned about this, I'd probably have two words of advice. One, don't underestimate the power of, of listening. If you're not sure how to be an ally or an advocate or talk about an issue, feel free to listen it and learn from people who are in those spaces or people who are impacted directly by that issue. And the second is, know that you will get things wrong sometimes and I've absolutely got things wrong sometimes and I'm really grateful for being given the feedback by people because it, it is a form of emotional labor particularly saying hey I know you think and I know you have really great intentions but you've actually not you, you haven't hit the mark and here's why mm. but without fail they've always said we would rather have imperfect advocacy than perfect silence mm. I think that's really important as a takeaway and I think that's something that in my past interview with um, Marley Silva, a proud Dungadi woman, she said like uh, this, the similar, similar note, you know, that if you're learning and you're trying and you are educating yourself, if you're nervous that you're going to say the wrong thing saying it and trying to create the change and trying to be the change, knowing that you might not always be right is always 100% better than not saying anything at all. 
Yeah, agreed. And again, feel free to amplify voices. If you're not sure what to say and you see somebody who's just encapsulated it perfectly, share that post or Instagram short story, share it on Facebook, use that text, obviously give credit where credit's due, absolutely, but feel welcome to refer back to those people, particularly if those people are from a community who may not be otherwise heard as loudly. Mm, Absolutely. I like that. Lastly, Ashley, could you please share where we can find you on Instagram and where we can learn more about your work with Raise Our Voice Australia? Yes, I'm on Instagram at activist.ash, Raise Our Voice on Instagram at Raise Our Voice Oz and we're also at www.raiseourvoiceaustralia.com and Raise Our Voice Australia on Facebook. Fantastic. I'll put all the links to um, those in the show notes. So please go check them out. Otherwise, it has been such a pleasure and a real delight to chat to you this evening. I couldn't thank you enough for taking this time out of your day to share with us your beautiful wisdom. Um, So thank you, Ashley. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ashley and were able to take many things away from it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you click that subscribe button or hit follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, you can come follow us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore for more updates in the meantime. Lastly, before I leave you, just a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week.